This is Magic City Soccer. Es el fútbol de la ciudad mágica. This is Magic City Soccer. Este es el fútbol de la ciudad mágica de Miami. This is Magic City Soccer. Let's go, Miami FC. This is Magic City Soccer. This is Magic City Soccer. Vamos, Miami. This is Magic City Soccer. This is Magic City Soccer. Este es el fútbol de la ciudad mágica de Miami. This is Magic City Soccer. This is Magic City Soccer, your home for everything you need to know about soccer in Miami-Dade County. Hello, soccer fans in South Florida and beyond, and welcome to our show. Uh, it is a late-night record for us, not that you would really know, because you'll hear it you know, morning, noon, or night, whenever, but uh, recording on the late night, because there's just so much to talk about, we got to get together and discuss. Uh, it's me and Omar Bayad. Omar, how you doing, pal? I'm going to go to bed. Have a good night, guys. <laughs> Buenas noches. Um, yeah, so uh, like I said, best to keep you awake as we do our best to keep ourselves awake. Um, first and foremost, it's the story that everyone is talking about even outside the soccer world uh, in Miami. Uh, it is the story of Miami Freedom Park. We finally know why that trademark was registered to Mo. Uh, it was a bit of a, no, I don't want to say a smokescreen because it actually was the name of something uh but when people thought including uh, as we reported on magic city soccer that there was speculation that, that might be the team name um in fact it was not the name of the team it was the name of the stadium park where uh football miami mls intended their new stadium uh it is the mel reese plan we have discussed that before on this podcast we have written about it on our website um but finally got a look at what uh jorge mas uh, the rest of ownership have in mind. Uh, Omar, I will loft this one up to you because there's a lot to talk about. And I think while we come from the same perspective, we have a bit of a different – we may have, we have a similar view, have a different perspective. That's the way to put it. Uh, how do you process this news? I mean, for me, I'm I'm torn. I'm kind of stuck in between like two – I, I don't know, two positions, it's a juxtaposition, I don't know what the right word is for it really, but basically I have two situations at play. I grew up playing, you know, golf as a public high school student. My family growing up was by no means rich or elite or well-off or anything like that. And the first tee program, which exists at Maurice Golf Course, uh, was something that, you know, I used throughout those years as I was growing up and, and playing the game of golf, um... So for me, it's it's it, it kind of puts me between a rock and a hard place because, you know, I I love the beautiful game. I love soccer, and you know, although I'm, I never you know played it in high school or anything like that, um, you know, I, I always had a fond appreciation for it, and it kind of puts me in this weird angle because I can't have one without the other. You know what I mean? Like with with regards to the Maurice site, the golf course can't exist while the stadium is you know the stadium complex right. is there so for me you know it, it it is difficult and i think that the stadium overall is a better option for that land when i kind of step away and you know look at the bigger picture and the reason i say that is because i think maurice is a golf course here in south florida and, and while i understand it's the only golf course like within the city limits um you know, realistically speaking, city limits with regards to Miami, I mean, that yeah. they're not realistic. You know what I mean? Um, so there are still a wide variety of golf courses that will cater to the folks that venture out to Maurice often. It is not a cheap golf course to play. Um, you know, 
it, it is more of the higher middle to upper class you know in terms of green fees and things of that nature so for me i'm not going to miss it if it's gone there's going to be memories that you know i won't be able to show people or show my kids and things like that as, as you know time progresses because it'll be completely different but I'm, I'm happy to make new memories and i'm i'm on board with the maurice plan uh now again i think for, from a from a perspective of commentary uh where you're jumping in there and i i would agree i generally support this plan uh i i think it's a good idea and my perspective is is that i've never played a round of golf in my life uh, so i've gone to a driving range a couple of times i love mini golf you know if they were going to do something about the palmetto golf course and tear up the mini golf I'd, I'd be heartbroken but um i'm not a golfer and so my perspective on it is i have always been baffled by the idea of public golf courses in general um because it is such a massive consumption of land for green space, which is true. But while it's public, quote-unquote, it's not really – like I'm not going to just go and walk the golf course. Right. That's, not how, that's, that's not how it works. So while it is publicly owned and publicly controlled, it's not really publicly used. And so I, I've, I've often – you know, if it, a, a private course, whatever uh, – I still think it's a little bit – I think the, the sport is generally a little bit wasteful in terms of – uh, the use of land, but that's a whole other matter. Uh, I, but I have nothing against golf. It's it's fine. It is what it is. But when it comes to a public golf course, I do think that there can be better utilization of those resources. And this, to me, seems like the best possible scenario for a situation where you are going to need the assistance of a government to get a stadium built. Yeah. The bet the best case scenario is and and I was able to hear Billy Corbin uh, on eight eighty the biz uh, earlier tonight as a to, uh, Monday night as, as, if you're listening uh, being interviewed by Grant Stern it was a really illuminating interview because Billy is famous infamous depending on your perspective on being really against public funding for stadiums and some of the criticisms he brought up which we'll talk about uh, over the course of the next couple of days and weeks uh, are valid I don't think he's wrong but I do think that. If you are an absolutist when it comes to no, not a single bit of government assistance when it comes to any kind of assistance related to sports stadiums, then yeah, you're not going to like this plan because there is government assistance. They are coordinating the availability of the land. They will be turning over a golf course. But it's, man, it's about as the best you could hope for. Right. I feel like realistically, it's the best you could hope yeah, for. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, what ends up happening is I, you know, I have the memories and I have kind of like you know, the, the, the physical ties and the emotional ties um, to the first tea facility at Maurice. And I think for me, if I could have complete reassurance that that program is going to move to, you know, Country, Country Club of Miami is just too far. If it's going to move to Crandon Park and keep a skein, or if it's going to move to maybe the Biltmore or something like that and, and have reduced rates for these kids, you know, that for me... Um, would make this uh, like an easier pill to swallow and like i said you know i'm allowed to have i said it on twitter i'm allowed to have these feelings and still support the stadium plan because you know i i have deep roots there you know what i mean um i grew up on you know golf courses like that and things of that nature and and again i want to reiterate that i didn't grow up in the ultra elite class like i don't have a silver spoon in my mouth trust me if i did i wouldn't be 
working in the profession I'm working in today, you know what I mean? So, <laughs> it, you know, when you put all those things together, I think it's just, yeah, I think you're absolutely right, you know, it's the best use for that land. Um, it's a golf course that, you know, doesn't necessarily cater to the blue-collar golf or anything like that. It doesn't really cater to tourists because tourists are going to golf at the resorts, you know, whether it's taking a drive out to Crandon Park, which isn't a resort course, but, you know, going to Aventura or, or going to Doral and things of that nature. So, you know, it, it doesn't really cater to anybody that, that, you know, if it's gone, it won't be missed. I think the big thing to realize from a golfing perspective is that this is the fourth course in Dade County to close. Uh, should Mel Reese, you know, go the way of, of closing down in the matter of about 12, 13 years. And while I understand that, like, golfing, pop, you know, after the stock market crash, that, you know, golf has declined because of its costs and everything else, you know, it was a sport that was on the up and up, you know, just, just 10 years ago. You know what I mean? Especially with the boom of Tiger Woods and, you know, getting minorities into the game and things of that nature. Um, but I think, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. We've shifted and we've pivoted now where, you know, maybe golf was the growing sport, the niche sport and, and i think soccer has usurped that you know by miles at this point i do think something um that um is really relevant to what you're talking about here which is is a, a point of consternation for a lot of people regarding the plan so far and that is the first t program um which is really in communities and minority communities uh in the sport of golf and there are a lot of people that are uh, kind of, for lack of a better word, upset um, that they feel that 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 program, which is based at Mel Reese, uh, is basically just going to get demolished in Miami. I think it is important to point out that that Jorge Mas, in this kind of uh, media push um, that he's made um, in the last few days, really, um, he has said that they have been in talks with Miami Springs Golf Course. Um, to move the program over to that golf course, which is about a five-minute drive away f from Mel Reese. I mean, listen, f from a golfing perspective, and, and this is the last time in this episode that I'm going to use that mentality and that perspective, you know, as I try to analyze, you know, our thoughts here on, on the stadium project. Miami Springs and Mel Reese are worlds apart in terms of, you know, quality, in terms of structure, in terms of what's there. Now, if someone were to sit here and tell me that Miami Springs is going to get a makeover or a complete, you know, it's going to undergo a complete renovation, well, fine. You know what? I'm on board. They've got more than enough land there uh, to to house the first tee and, and to make that golf course suitable. And I say that from somebody who considers Miami Springs his home course. You know what I mean? I, I That's the course I grew up at. That's the course I've played hundreds of rounds on, you know, in my life. So for me, yeah, I think that's a perfect fit. You know, more so than Crandon Park, moving it out to Key Biscayne and, or, you know, moving it up to, you know, essentially Hialeah, Miami Gardens, you know, the Miramar border at Country Club of Miami. So if it is going to move to Miami Springs, that's perfect for that program. And again, you know, I, I really like, I really, really, really like what I saw in the mock-up. And, and of course, with the initial mock-up from the architects, you know, it's always going to look prettier. Hmm. Uh, you know, you look at Marlins Park and, and, I, and I know that. You know, this is not what you want to compare both projects to. Yeah. With regards to the newest, you know, building in South Florida, it, it is essentially Marlins Park. And what you want to see here is, you know, what is it going to look like? What's the potential? Because I remember the mock-ups of Marlins Park, and you look at it, and it's kind of similar. It's kind of not. 
you know, are, are the go- are the uh, soccer fields going to be there for actual public use? You know, is the green space really going to be there? He mentioned uh, with Will Manso that parking was going to be underground. Well, does that mean that he's elevating the entire terrain in order to put the foundation technically underground? Because you dig three feet in South Florida, you hit water. So there's no such thing as a basement. There's no such thing as underground parking unless it's technically elevated above street level. You know yes. what I mean? Yeah, there are a ton of questions that still need to be addressed, obviously, and I think that's part of the um, frustration that a lot of the critics have with this plan is that basically a, a lot of the a lot of the wheels that are turning are not turning out in public. Um, really, we just heard about the plan in in some detail officially yesterday, or you know, um, it, it's 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 rather new. Um, and I think it is imperative on f- uh, football, uh, my, MLS Miami, whatever the name is, um, with the ownership group of the potential MLS team in Miami. It's imperative on them to get out in front ASAP. And, and that really starts before that meeting on Thursday that we'll talk about in a minute. They need to get out. They need to put faces like Jorge Mas did, in, in fairness to him, going in front of the sports directors of, you know, uh, local television stations and taking questions. But I think they need to they need to be out even further. You know, wh- what kind of, uh, you know, economic feasibility, uh, you know, uh, research have you done into this? What kind of, you know, Jorge Mas swears up and down it won't impact traffic uh, around Grapeland. How? How, how? how do you come to those conclusions? And I think the more that the ownership group is up, up front and honest with the city of Miami voter, with the Miami-Dade County resident, the more traction they're going to get. And the more that they're kind of hemming and hawing and holding back, the more that they're going to run up against, you know, against you know ceilings that are going to prevent them from getting to where they want to go. Right. And I, I think, listen, it's not going to cause traffic. Everything in South Florida causes traffic. Come on, Jorge. You know this. You know yes. what I mean? Let's not. Let's call a spade a spade here. Come on, man. Um, but at the same time, you know, I I think the economic impact, and this is where I'm going to start getting a little more positive. And, you know, like I said, I'm steering away. I'm putting kind of my feelings aside here. But, you know, I, I think with regards to uh, the economic impact, I think we're going to see probably a stadium create for the first time some kind of economic growth and the reason i say that is using what's available in that land and depending who's going to be the landlord who's going to be the you know who are going to be considered tenants where is the revenue going to go because if the soccer fields are actually going to be considered city park land as an example right and the city park decides to actually you know uh manage the soccer fields themselves you've got a revenue stream here but all of a sudden if you get a company who's going to or if you're going to outsource the management of the soccer fields or if you're going to outsource you know the buildings and this and that then you're not really creating anything in terms of revenue for the city government itself and at the same time listen i'm an economist by trade you know what i mean i've got a degree in economics i know you do too man you know, I, 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 when people say, oh, it's a huge economic, you know, mm. boost to the city or you host a Super Bowl and it's, you know, it brings in, you know, $30 billion. It's like, well, where does yeah. the money go? Because the money doesn't go to the employees. It's not like all of a sudden, you know, these businesses are getting more money to give to their employees. No, it, it, it goes to the bottom dollar. You know what I mean? So when you're sitting here and you're trying to 
you know, feed me that. Well, what are the 11,000 jobs that you're promising? Are they good paying jobs or are they minimum wage construction jobs or the minimum wage security jobs of the stadium? You know, so it, it goes to show. But listen, I, I like the mock up. I like the design. I, I think it's the perfect spot because it's the most centralized location out of any really that have been uh, promised. So it, only time will tell. And, and the truth is, I think the fairest thing that we could do is give it to the voters let the voters decide how they want to you know undertake this project i think and what, what what they want to do with it interested me so much about this proposal um i'm not someone i was very positive on the overtown proposal i thought it was an interesting idea because it seemed like it was a very forward-thinking decision to get in in a community where development has been occurring but it's been it's not been Winwood or the design district it, it it has a lot of room to grow what interests me about this proposal is it appears that you know with the the talent the Moss brothers have is build stuff develop stuff uh, that's their you know that's how they make their money that's how they apply their trade um, they they appear to be saying basically we're gonna try to build we're not going to try to build economic development for a region like Overtown. We're going to try to build a region. You know, there are houses obviously in and around that that land. You know, that is a community, but it's, I mean, it's a nondescript Correct. community in Miami. I would say, like in terms of like uh, identity and 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 what that is. No one thinks of Great Bland as you know, little Haiti, little Havana, whatever else. It's just, it's kind of oh, it's that. Those houses by the airport, basically. You know, it's <laughs> funny because I don't even consider it great, great land. I just consider it Maurice. You know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. So you know, you've got this, this whole thing where basically, it, I think they're trying to. And and I actually heard uh, Billy Corbin and Grant Stern mention this, and this was my first thought. And they were kind of talking negatively. I think it's positively. I think they're trying to build a town. I think I think that's what the end goal here is. Where they're they're basically trying to to develop a a. Uh, you know, downtown Doral, downtown Dadeland type development where the, the residential aspect is, is around the park already, but there's no cornerstone for that part of Miami-Dade County except for the airport. This would be that cornerstone where you not only have the stadium and it's like, oh yeah, we'll have a couple of spots for for restaurants and whatever like Marlins Park does, which is always a, a, a foolish pursuit because you weren't, there was no other reason for people to go there besides the baseball game. Um, with this, if people have a reason to be at that office park nine to five Monday through Friday, now you have a reason for resident, uh, you know, restaurants and retail to set up. Now you have a reason for all those things to happen, and the stadium is weirdly almost an afterthought. It's also there. Yeah, it really is. No, absolutely, it really is almost an afterthought, and I think they hit a home run with that aspect. And you know, a lot of people are poo pooing that. There's no public transportation and, you know, it's far and, and the parking, you know, before essentially he mentioned that the parking was underground. There was no, like, parking structure per se, you know what I mean? Um, the MIG is right there, you know, essentially the rent-a-car hub and the access point from the Metro Rail to uh, the airport is, is right And there. the tri-rail I mean, for everyone in Broward right. and Palm Beach County that... that it's Well, the tri-rail is a little farther. I mean, to be fair, the tri-rail is, is, is about a mile away. Um, no, doesn't. I'm sorry. Doesn't the tri-rail go into the intermodal? 
if it oh yeah hylia market isn't that isn't the last stop anymore they they brought it into the intermodal yeah there's there's literally no other point in south florida that is more connected to public transportation than where they want to put the stadium that's it there's no other that there you can't beat it but the truth is you know at the end of the day how many people are actually going to take the public transportation option because you know it, it still if you live in Doral okay maybe you know you jump on from the Palmetto station you move forward if you live in Kendall you've got to take the whole loop around you might just save you some time to drive especially if you're a season ticket holder and you know parking's included with your pass and you want to tailgate etc so it, I'm, I'm curious to see how many people are actually going to want to give up driving to you know attend an MLS match. I think a big factor in that and I think it's part of the reason uh why they they are focusing on getting a, a, a spot that is so uh, uh, one prone to retail and restaurant development and two so connected to public transportation um, is that I I don't think that tailgating is going to be a priority for this team I think it they're I think they're going to try to no Come but on. I they're going to try Come to on. do the you know bar crawl walk to the park I I why else do this. You know what I mean? Like, leave the park space that's there for the part of the kids that want to kick the ball around. And if you want to have a pint before the game, there are, there are bars to go to. But you don't think it's going to run into the same issue where it normally runs into where all of a sudden, why am I going to pay $5 for a beer when I can get a six-pack? Oh, well, $5? I think there'll certainly be some of that, too. But, I mean, those games are going to be happening in June, July, and August. You know what I mean? Like those games are going to be happening in the very worst of the heat. And yes, the games kick off at seven or eight. Have you walked around at seven or eight? Uh, you know, the last couple of days down here in South Florida. Still, hot. you know, it's 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 swampy. Um, I I, th- I think that the reason why this site, from the fan perspective, works so well is you have everything. You have you have the, the the choice. You have the pick of the litter. You can do what you want. You know, are you a member of Southern Legion and you want to have a designated Southern Legion pub, and that's where you meet and drink before you go in? Great. If you have family and you want to kick around the park, great. You know, if you want to drive in and park in your covered you know underground parking spot, great. Everything is available. Everything's on the table here. I mean, so I guess here's kind of like the way I'm looking at it per se. Let's look at Orlando City Stadium, which is a stadium that we both visited. You know, it's right up the road and it's trying to kind of grow organically that entertainment district nearby the stadium. Do you consider that to be kind of like a semi model of what they're trying to do here? Because when at the moments where I visited Orlando City Stadium, I've been there four times, I've only seen one win, and it wasn't an Orlando win. It was actually a <laughs> United States men's national team win. Uh, you know, it, to me, the only time I actually tailgated was before the USA game, and that was out of the trunk of the car because I'm in some weird lot. I didn't actually visit the bars. I've never visited the bars. Like, yes, I visited downtown Orlando after the game to eat, but not necessarily before. Well, I will tell you from my experience two things. First off, when I went to um, Orlando City Stadium as part of the Miami FC Open Cup game last year, uh, my first thought, the, 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 the feel that I got was actually very similar to an Overtown feel. That was the first thing that jumped out to me is I, I thought kind of 
gave off the feeling that okay it's starting to grow or gentrify develop whatever word you want to use it's not there yet and that this team this the presence of this team is is going to be a catalyst for it uh the second thing i noted was that there was a wonderful little bar that was basically a giant uh container uh, that had been kind of repurposed uh and it was super fun and i had a great time there and that was basically kind of reserved or held off for Miami FC fans, people who had traveled up. So that that did make our life a little bit easier. But I, my my immediate thought was, I want this. This is what I want. You know, I, I tailgating is super fun. I'm a big tailgater for UM football games. You know, every Saturday I'm there. But I I, I think it's a different. Nah, I wouldn't. I not to say I would never tailgate, and I've tailgated for Miami FC games. But man, if there was a a bar, you know, two blocks from Ricardo Silva. Um, that would change the math a little bit. Okay, I mean, I, I guess that's interesting. I, uh, I don't know. Sometimes I, I look at cost analysis way too, way too difficult. You know, way too closely and way too narrowly, which is again part of the problem with having a degree in economics. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, maybe it's a different crowd. Maybe it's not necessarily the rowdy football UM crowd. Maybe you're going to see. You know, a little bit of a different atmosphere and environment that you do at, you know, Miami Hurricanes games or uh, Miami Dolphins games, things of that nature. But listen, I'm excited. I think my biggest fear is um, not that it doesn't get on the ballot, although that seems to be a, a very real situation uh, that come Thursday, it may not get on the ballot for November. Um, but that I just, I feel like you're going to see the Miami players, the, the people I like to call the no fun police, you know, with regards to Norman Brayman and, you know, Matheson and, and, and people of that nature, compare this deal completely to Marlins Park when, you know, it doesn't necessarily equate, you know, that you cannot say that these two deals are equal uh, other than the fact, you know, maybe of like one or two points. And, and it worries me because I think a lot of people are very sour on the Marlins situation and a lot of people still carry resentment from that and how that impacts MLS Miami is going to be difficult because when you look at it from a, from an organizational or like a grassroots or a political standpoint if you're MLS Miami you need to have some kind of field strategy field team you need to be knocking on doors you need to be reaching out to people all the time and explaining over and over again and not just going on news networks or not just going you know on radio you, you need to be interacting with people face to face because otherwise this initiative may not pass uh yeah that's honestly i think it will make the ballot because i think that there will be enough uh enough of a feeling of basically let the people vote let the people have their say that listen i agree with you but right now the way it's being indicated is that there's five people on the dais and there's two saying yes and two saying no. Yes. And there's there's one commissioner who seems to be on the ropes about it. So, you know, it, there is a possibility that they could say something that sours him. You look at what happened with Commissioner Soto in the Miami-Dade uh, County Chamber, and, and all of a sudden he asked for some additional tax revenue to come from the team, and he said, and you know, the team declined. It wasn't part of the, the deal with Miami-Dade County, and his vote swung just on that alone. So, you, you know... It just anything can happen, and you know, as much as I would like to see it get to a ballot, would it surprise me if it didn't? It, it wouldn't. Well, it's cliche, but nothing surprises me in Miami politics. Uh, just <laughs> I think that's the easy way to answer that. Well, there's that. 
I, I do think that ultimately, I think I think Ken Russell is ultimately going to be kind of the the kingmaker here, and I, I think that he's he's not going to to stand in the way of it. I guess that's the the way I would put it. That that he'll unless there's a really crap job of selling it in the next few days unless 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 football miami mls is not ready for the spotlight after half a decade uh almost um it i think it gets on the ballot that that you know i don't have any reporting or inside sources on that i just i i, I it would be man it would be really crummy if after all this time there appears to be kind of a finalized plan with a real you know local presence and 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 what would you know a long development in basically the city just completely piping it uh i i don't i i find that hard to believe man but it could happen who knows um so that's the the, the big news on that front obviously we've just talked about it if you've been listening um this melrose plan the meeting uh for the city of miami commission to consider whether to put a question on the, the november general election ballot uh the voters of the city will give the city commission the approval to lease the land at Melrose Park um, in a no-bid process. Um, that will be considered Thursday at 2 p.m. Uh, I know that Southern Legion, the MLS uh, supporters group down here, is organizing in the park, uh, uh, Regatta Park, next to the city uh, city commission chambers, um, kind of tailgate uh, rally, whatever you want to call it. Uh, from 12 to 2. Uh, I know I'll be out there. Um, and we're basically, as many people from Magic City Soccer, I think, as can get out there, will be out there to cover it and provide you uh, information you need on our social media and on our website. So be sure to keep your eyes and ears open, boys and girls. Um, yes. Serious question. How close is Monty's to Miami City? Uh, it's walking distance. It's about a five-minute walk. Uh <laughs> You well, what I'm thinking it? is, uh, whatever it's called now, Piscotty's Landing. Because you, oh, yeah. you, you can true. see City Good Council, uh, you can see the City uh, Hall from Scotty's Landing or Grove Bay Isle Grill, whatever it is now. Um, yeah, I think I think that's the plan, sir. I think that's what we'll we'll have to we'll have live podcast from uh, Grove Bay Grill on Thursday. Uh, yes. Um, so let's actually move on and talk about who would even think about it actual real playing soccer um yeah you know it's we're not just talking about real estate deals and you know property tax values um we do talk about the beautiful game um and miami fc2 after a lot of strum und drang uh in april and may uh about how they would compete against you know uh, the miami uniteds of the world the jacksonville armadas of the world and the palm beach uniteds of the world um, have emerged and have won the NPSL Sunshine Conference regular season title um, with a pretty dominant performance over Boca Raton. Uh, really, over the last three weeks or so, they have closed out very strong as their opponents have faltered. I mean, that's really the only way to put it. They they did exactly what we said they needed to do at the very beginning of the season, which was draw against Miami United in Jacksonville and don't screw up against anyone else. And basically that's exactly what they did. Um they did what they needed to do and and they now have the number 1 seed and they have advanced the MPSL Sunshine Conference Championship. They will face one of Miami United or Jacksonville Armada. Uh they will play in Jacksonville uh tomorrow, Tuesday. 
Wednesday, I'm sorry, Wednesday. Oh, uh, Wednesday. Uh, they will play in Jacksonville on Wednesday for the right to play Miami FC too. Omar, uh, you had a pretty close uh, close look at this season, uh, covering the team pretty in depth. Um, what are your reflections on how this team got to this point? You know, this season was uh, a bit <laughs> of a roller coaster, wasn't it? You look at the initial the initial four games, and you drop a game to Jacksonville in the middle of the season, and you're thinking. Oh dear God! Like, all right, let's just hang on to the second seed so we can host a semifinal game, and then all of a sudden, Jacksonville's dropping games. United's getting red cards left and right, and you're like, "What is what is going on here? Like, is this <laughs> this is the NESL? This is this is just a mini NESL? You know, um, and it's just it was a roller coaster. Right? That's the best way to describe it because it started slow, and all of a sudden it picked up, and then. You had, you know, the Open Cup loss, and then you had a couple, of, you know, draws here and there, and you know, you lose to Jacksonville, and then you basically run the re- you run the table the rest of the way, and a lot of the times, you know, even in the victories, it almost felt it was an underwhelming victory. Like they got the job done, and they were professional about it, but you didn't see the glitz and the glamour a lot. You know, you look at the Storm FC game on, at home, where you know you only went two zero, and then you know you look at a couple other results against. Palm Beach United, and you're like, how, how did you only beat them 1-0? And, you know, credit to those teams, because I'm going to be honest, a lot of the times in my preview articles, I underestimated those teams, and in fairness to them, you know, but you kind of look at what Miami FC has done, and I, I guess surprising is the best adjective, because you tell me, hey, Miami FC is going to run the table and not drop any kind of result and win it, be getting help from some of these other teams? You know, call you a liar. And, and you hate to boil down seasons to one or two uh, moments. You know, you hate to to uh, view one or two things as big turning points of how everything is viewed because we should be a little bit more um, uh, able to kind of uh, digest complexities. But if Chris Turpak doesn't get a red card right before halftime, are we having an entire different conversation about this season? Because if Miami FC don't lose that Open Cup game and they're the one to advance to play Orlando and they lose against Orlando and the same exact season result plays out, you're looking at this regular season as a total success, right? Ah, I think... Hmm... I was saying, I remember walking out of that game and saying to Karthik Krishnayer, uh, actually the game before Miami United, um, I was saying, if you can get to USL, if you can get to the round where you play the Rowdies, even if you lose that game, it's a successful season because of everything you've had to endure. Yeah, so I, I think that if if that game doesn't go the way it does, if, if Miami FC... We're able to win that game. Now, again, what if, what if, what if? You know, there what ifs don't matter, ultimately. You are what you are. You know, you are what your record says you are. Um, but if they had won that game, I feel like we would be looking at a team that was really dominant in its conference. You know, I believe a plus 25 goal differential uh, that it had <laughs> throughout the season. Yes, and, and yes, I know Storm inflated that a little bit, right. but I mean, they handled the business. I think they won their final seven games, uh, if I recall Bruce Silverman on the broadcast uh, the other night. Um, 
they were they did exactly what they needed to do and 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 omar you put it perfectly it was not always flashy and i think there was you know i think i was guilty of it certainly this idea that basically miami fc was going to drop down to league levels and basically retain exactly what it was uh last year and you know every game would be six seven nothing uh that clearly didn't happen either and that was foolish because you know you now see the quality of some of these mpsl teams it's it's quite good uh you know palm beach united should be proud of what they've been able to accomplish this year you know naples united really put on a a, a good effort against some of these bigger clubs um you know basically sorry storm fc but basically everyone besides storm fc uh has something to look at back from the season to be proud of and to, you know hang up on the proverbial wall um but miami fc did the job they did the job and they adapted to adversity uh both before the season and during the season and they came out of it better and and i think that you know could they go and lose the game against jacksonville or miami united uh on saturday of course they're miami fc uh you know that's that's entirely possible um but still i think that man you look back at this season and it's it's been a a wild strange trip but it's it's hard to look back and, and be any kind of disappointed or any kind of uh you know they did they did what they needed to do period end of story Here's the thing, though. Uh, yes, I agree with you. Hard to be disappointed when you top the table and things of that nature. But if they do lose, and, and we'll talk about this game more in detail in an upcoming pod before the match on Saturday. Um, if they do lose to either United or Jacksonville, even without Jaime Chavez, that Agreed. puts a sour taste in your mouth. Uh in, in, in a yes, very, I guess I would very, say that uh, my process. comments are specifically related to everything that has happened up to this point. You know, if they do lose that game on Saturday and they don't go to the, the you know, the regional playoffs, they don't advance further, they don't challenge for the national title. Yeah, it's 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 going to be disappointment both from what your expectations were before the season and where your expectations should be now. Um, but I, I'm just saying in terms of I think there was a lot of doom and gloom about three weeks into this season, um, and perhaps that was a little bit overstated. No, I think so. I think, you know, going back to that United game, maybe if you beat the United game, you don't lose the services of a guy like Vigento Ranella. You know, you don't necessarily see guys like Ali Hassan walking out of the club. I I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I think it's, um, you know, I think if you make an open cup run, maybe you have a chance of signing Poku. You know, does he want to play in the MPSL? I don't know. Maybe not. But all of those things, all of those variables kind of come into play. And you look at the season, and you're like, you know what? It's It's been good, but it's been surprising. Yes, I guess good that's I guess the way, the way to put it is you, you, it started um, bad. You know, it started very... Uh, uh, very disappointingly, uh, and but when you look at the That's totality true. of it now that it's now that the regular season is done, um, they're basically where you expect them to be. You know what I mean? I think that if those three Miami United games had a little bit more spread out, uh, and you know you have a win and a draw and a loss here and there spread out over you know two months, three months, um, you look at it a little bit differently. I guess is all I'm saying. And, and yeah, now they they sit. Um, with a chance to pick up, pick up a basically super bragging rights in Dade County and in, in Florida, and a title. 
Yep, absolutely. And, you know, again, we're going to be going into this match a little more in detail once we know who we're, <laughs> or I guess who Miami FC is going to play. Um, Miami United going into this match with Jacksonville, you know, they're still nursing some injuries, and they're going to be turning to Tomas Granito to see if he can answer a lot of the questions. I think one of the big things that hindered uh, Miami United into the towards the latter stages of uh, the 2018 MPSL season is losing Nicolas Grasso. Absolutely. Because absolutely. He, he was absolutely one of the biggest difference makers in the league. Uh, and he was feeding service to guys like Ochoa, Granito, and Palai. And without him, you, it looks like a different Miami United team. You can see it right away. Yeah, it's been really um, uh, surprising and disappointing to see how, you know, you always have the cup hangover. Um, you know, all the attention you focus in on one game, once that's gone. Uh, you know, we saw it from Miami FC last year. Uh, once you lose that, that singular focus, it does affect your league performance as well. Uh, but specifically losing the services of Gorupsov, um, yeah, that, that really stung. And it, it, you know, sometimes you talk about bringing players in and how they can kind of unlock the potential of other players. Well, I think this was the opposite, that losing Gorupsov kind of binded the hands a little bit of some of the other players that had been so critical um, to Miami United performing well, particularly in the Open Cup. You know, to me, it's amazing that he left when he did, given that, you know, he went back to, if I'm not mistaken, he has signed a deal now with a team in the first division over Romania, which is essentially where he was playing a lot of his, you know, professional football anyway. It's surprising to me to see him go back there and leave the team in the middle of the season, knowing that even if United, let's say, got into the regional playoffs, season's not going to start. He doesn't have to report for duty right away, you know what I mean? Yeah, it was a strange choice, um, strange, strange decision. But uh, you know, I think Miami FC have have dealt with that particular problem as well uh, this season with some oh, yeah. some mid season uh, drop offs um, occurring. But yeah, so you know, for all the for all the frustration that Miami United may be feeling, uh, they are two games away from from winning this winning this conference. You know, so. Uh, ultimately, if you're Miami United, if you're Jacksonville Armada, or you're Miami FC, you got a golden ticket. You got you got something to to hang your hat on, and you still have reason to play. And ultimately, that's the best you can ask for if you're in in this conference, if you're in this league, is to still be playing going into those conference playoffs and going into those regional playoffs. And if it and if it was not enough for the bragging rights to win the conference, you get the Open Cup slot. Too. Yes, a guaranteed. Uh, you know, uh, you can. You can hang your hat on it going into the offseason. You don't have to worry about, oh, well, uh, you know, power rankings or whatever whatever uh, other factors are determined to potentially bring in second or th- uh, second place conference finishers in with Open Cup spots. You win that conference, you are in like Flint. So uh, both Miami FC2 and Miami United and Jacksonville are going to be particularly hungry. It's like an Open Cup run starting all over again because it's basically the start of the 2019 uh, Lamar Hunt U.S. Open Cup, um, and the 2018 is not yes, right. Open. It's uh, perfectly appropriate for for soccer. One one competition starts, the other one actually isn't even done yet. Um, so yes, that's the the kind of MPSL wrap up. Although, as Omar said, we will be talking about um, we will be talking about uh, that championship game, that conference championship game, a little bit later this week once we actually have a team versus another team. Right now, we have three teams. 
and only two spots in the final. So we'll talk more about that later. Um, Omar, I know we definitely wanted to talk to, before we uh, kind of wrap it up tonight, wanted to talk about World Cup um, because we we kind of took a little bit. We, we did basically two podcasts in two days and then took a little bit of a break um, for travel and other things. But a lot of stuff has happened since the last time we talked. Um, man, I was so right when I said that one of the finalists in the 2014 World Cup would not get out of the group stage. Um, and man, did I have the wrong team. I was so close. So close. Um, but yeah, so we've got two semifinalists. Very exciting. Uh, four semifinalists. Two semifinal games. Uh, two, to me, very exciting games. Uh, I would say they're a little bit out of balance uh, in terms of the quality in the two games. But the teams in each game, uh, I actually think, match up very well against one another. Um, yeah. No, listen. I think you're right. The quality. Here's what's crazy about this situation. The teams on the left side of the bracket, essentially the France, Belgium, when you put them against either Croatia or you put them against either England, I think you favor either of those two teams in a final against either of the other two. Um, so you kind of have this weird situation set up where you don't necessarily know who is going to, you know, match up with better with who. And I was having a conversation today, a little bit earlier as I was playing actually soccer at Tropical Park. Um, you know, who's the better matchup? Who's the better mix-up? If you're England and you make it past Croatia, which I think they will, you know, who do you want to see? If you play France, you need the France defense to just be awful. If you play against Belgium, how do you handle, you know, two six-foot-plus midfielders and somebody like Eden Hazard? Yeah, I think that, I think that both... Uh, well, whoever wins, I guess I should say, not both things, because one of them won't be very lucky, but whoever wins out of England, Croatia. Let's, let, first off, let's, let's dispense with the idea. All four of these teams are good, okay? And, and, you know, people, Croatia's not a big name. Well, they've got a lot of big names on that team. They've got talent on that team, legitimate talent. Um, you know, England, oh, they're, they're, they're known for failure. Well, these guys don't know failure. They're really young, and they're really talented, too, and they are stars in the strongest league in the world. And so the fact that, you know, this England team is advancing, it, it should not be a shocker. Uh, it's surprising, and it's good for them, and, you know, given their history, the fact that they won a penalty shootout, Colombia is a little bit of a miracle. But... Um, they're, they're where they deserve to be. They won the games. They did the business. They're where they deserve to be. Um, now, I do think, though, that whoever wins Belgium, France, is going to be favored over whoever wins England, Croatia. Um, but I, I, I'm intrigued to see... I really would love to see France, England, man. I think it would be really fun from a geopolitical standpoint, from a historical standpoint... I, I have said for, for months that, that Belgium, you know, it's it's everyone's trendy pick to be the dark horse, but I really believed in that Belgian side. I believed in Thibaut Courtois, and his I think his performance the last couple of games has has backed me up in terms of his, his talent and his ability. Um, I just think that, man, that would be, would I just think it would be insane. I think it would be a super fun World Cup final appropriate for a super fun World Cup. This World Cup has been fantastic. Yeah, I think if you're the broadcast holders and you're the media rights holders, you're praying really hard that it's not Belgium, Croatia. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. 
because although that game has a chance to be 3-2, 4-3, it also has a very good chance of being 1-0. Yes. And I think with France and England, you're going to see the personalities kind of evolve, and you're going to see guys who know each other very well, because if you look at the French lineup, a lot of the French lineup plays in the Premier League. Um, you know, obviously you got guys. You got guys in the domestic league at home in France, and then you know, obviously Antoine Griezmann playing in Spain. Uh, and it, to me, I think it'll be very, very interesting. Um, I I don't know. And, you know, it, there's a lot of matchup questions when you look at France and England, and say, you know, does the English backline have the pace to keep up with, you know, the France the French forwards, and then. Who wins the battle of atrocity in the midfield? You know what I mean. So, you know, and, and can France stop Harry Kane? You know, it, it's it, it's going to be a great game. I think it 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 provides a certain test to both managers uh, of the national teams, and I think that's a game where the better coach is going to find the tactic to win the game, and it's not going to be just oh I have a set of players A that are better than a set of players B. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, w- I would agree, and I, I think here's my, you know, I gave you the the prediction, which didn't turn out to happen either way, that Argentina was going to win the group or they were not going to advance. You know, the conditional if, then, this, that. Here's my conditional prediction. If Belgium beat France, Belgium will win the World Cup. If France beat Belgium, England or Croatia can win. Not that they will win, but I think that if Belgium get past France, Belgium will get past whoever else they play. I think that France, because they're, I I guess I would describe them as uh, combustible, where they can explode as a beautiful firework or they can just kind of blow up. Well, here's the (laughs) thing. Here's the thing. I don't think Belgium versus England is such a sure thing either because when you look at that matchup, a a lot of the Belgian squad plays, you know, in the Premier League. And there's going to be a lot of familiarity there. So, it's not a place of. It's not going to be a question of pace. Is Lukaku going to beat Stones and Walker at the back? It's not going to be. You know, can Kevin De Bruyne, you know, pull off a masterful effort? You know, it's going to be. How does England deal with the height advantage that Belgium will have going into that match, especially with Fellaini and Witzel and guys like that? Uh, and then also, you know, it's it's a very checks and balances game. It's going to be a chess match, I think, uh, in a sense because. You're going to try to find a way to cancel out Eden Hazard and Kevin De Bruyne, you know, and you're going to want to test Vincent Company, the aging defender, if you're England. You know, you're going to throw Sterling constantly at Company. So it, I think to me, you know, although France and England would be a fun game, I, I think from a true Premier League fan perspective, Belgium-England is a close second because, man, there's a lot of familiarity on that pitch. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, I think the reason why I lean towards Belgium winning, um, no matter who they face, is precisely because Belgium has, to me, uh, the second most Premier League experience, you know, in terms of the players in their side. And if they're going against Croatia, I think that the talent level will matter. And if they're going against England, I think it's less about talent and more about Kevin De Bruyne being able to operate in the midfield against players that he has played against before and that, as we saw last season, he has dominated against before. But um, here's the thing. If you're Gareth Southgate, right, and you see Kevin De Bruyne in the midfield, I would just play Dyer and uh, 
I play Eric Dyer and um, why is why is his name eluding me? Can I get who's hints? The ho- who's the holding midfielder who starts for England? Uh, Jordan Henderson. I play them both. I play a double holding midfielder formation. I break away from the three five one that you're currently playing at the three five two. You know, play essentially maybe a four two three one and see. You know, if you can get if you can outflank the Belgium fullbacks. I think that's your only path to victory because playing that formation, you're allowing Kevin De Bruyne to, to run rampant. You're allowing him to find Hazard in space. Where if you have two holding midfielders, now you've got two man marks on each of those guys. You know what I mean? Which, if if that's your kind of tactical move, I think that's fine and respectable and, and good. But if you're forced into doing that, then I think Belgium is already picking up a significant advantage because you're forcing England out of what has gotten them there. You know what I mean? I think that's the advantage of having that kind of player is that either England's going to try to just put their head down and power through you with what they've had, or they're going to have to try to adjust between the semifinal and the final completely to that kind of play. I understand what you're saying, but then really the only person you're sacrificing in this situation is Karen Trippier if you're England, right? If you're if you're gonna sacrifice that individual amongst the rest, I I don't see really how that could be an issue because you'll play Kyle Walker at the right back, you'll have Stones and Maguire in the middle, you'll probably keep Ashley Young towards the left back spot, maybe play Danny Rose if you want to, uh, although you probably stick with what you know, and now you've got all of a sudden a a, a very offensively dynamic midfielder even midfield even though you're holding you know, two holding midfielders back with Dyer and Henderson. Yeah, I think I can't wait. I'm really excited for these games. (laughs) And I'm really interested to see what kind of decisions are going to be made by the managers. I feel like you have um, saved Croatia. I think you have a number of teams that are led by managers that as as recently as well as recently as now because some people just don't believe Roberto Martinez is is capable of much of anything for some reason um but you have a, a managers that people don't really believe in that people don't really kind of think of as the quality of world cup winners and and one or both or one or yeah one or two of them is going to make it to the final and one of them could very well win unless Croatia wins which is totally on the table because you could argue that they've been you know maybe the most impressive team at the whole tournament um it's just there's so many possibilities and so many narratives that can just be exploded you know what i mean it's it's really fascinating um god i'm just i'm really 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 looking forward to these games tuesday and wednesday and then man that the final is just going to be especially if you get something like england france um it it it's going to be explosive in a good way yeah no absolutely absolutely we're getting a little bit late here on time. It's I can I think the sun's coming up, Matt. I think the sun's coming up. <laughs> it is actually one twenty five AM. We are recording this at one twenty five in the morning. That's why we have shifted to the quiet storm voice. Um yeah, so I, I think it's time we pack it up and pack it in and uh, let us not begin but end. Um we will be back later this week, um with, with the preview of the MPSL Sunshine Conference final in Miami at St. Thomas University, Bobcat Field, Saturday. Tickets are available at uh, the MiamiFC.com. 
Uh, I believe it's $15 general admission, $10 for your season ticket holder. Um, so make sure, if you have not done so already, reach out to the team um, and get your get, get your ticket situation in order. Um, the city council or the city commission meeting is Thursday at 2 at City Hall. Um, city Hall is located in Coconut Grove, the former Pan Am building. Um, if you got an empty uh, Thursday in front of you and you're looking for something to do and you're interested in soccer, you probably ought to go and check it out. Um, and yeah, World Cup semifinals Tuesday and Wednesday, um, and the third place game Saturday, the final Sunday. Do I have everything right, Omar? That sounds about right. I think Wednesday we're going to be venturing out into Wynwood, uh, going to the Levitard event over at, uh, uh, Jake w- Jay Wakefield in Winwood yes. uh, for the England match. What are we doing tomorrow or today? Uh, that's a great question. I think I have a headboard and footboard to sell, uh, so someone may be picking that up. But if that gets out early, I think we're going to have to meet up and uh, and uh, grab some drinks. Maybe we'll uh, scout out Bay before Thursday, <laughs> figure out what we want to order on Thursday by going tomorrow. Who knows? But um, oh, the possibilities are endless. Um yeah, so get your calendar in order, get your affairs in order, uh, make sure you're ready to digest all the soccer that's coming, because it's, it's going to dry up after Sunday, World Cup's over, but then of course, uh, you know, we have NPSL, regional playoffs, we have all kinds of other things going on, so yeah, it's it's exciting times down here. Um, Alright, uh, so let's wrap it up, uh, Omar, uh, we can find you on Twitter, remind everyone your Twitter handle again. Mubayad Allah. Excellent. Uh, you can find me at Matthew S. Bunch. You can find Magic City Soccer at uh, magiccity.soccer or on Twitter at Magic City Soccer or on Facebook, Magic City Soccer, or basically just search for us Instagram or Magic City Sock with one C. Um, but yeah, just search us out. We'll, you know, if you have any questions or anything you want to heard discussed on the podcast, we're happy to um, bring it up. Uh, I think that's it. Uh, Omar, as always, thank you very much, sir always a pleasure have a great night everyone uh of course if you're listening to us like tuesday morning sleep to bed uh but until the next time uh go miami united uh on tuesday go miami fc miami united in the uh sunshine final uh go football miami mls and go miami soccer yeah we're going to hooters tomorrow it's decided